What's going outside is as real as a heart attack, and I knew it existed. It's just relatively rare, and you've got to join the party when the party exists. Hey, 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 welcome to Culture Hustlers, where we explore the value of art, culture, and design. This is the first episode of our second season where we're doing things a little differently because I'm in control and I said so. Sorry, who are you? I'm your host, Lucas Spivey. I'm a BFA MBA hybrid, and I started this podcast to answer one simple question. What can artists teach us about money? And now I'm wondering a very specific question for this episode. How do taxpayers like to spend money on culture? And the answer is, well, uh, not rationally. Um, the city of Seattle reached out to me to bring the mobile incubator onto the Seattle Viaduct. Now, what is a mobile incubator and what is a viaduct? Well, a mobile incubator is a rolling recording studio that I've taken to 42 different states across the U.S. And it's a space for people to come in and have a private conversation and get real. The viaduct uh, is not a duck. is a bridge across downtown Seattle. It comes from South Seattle all the way to North Seattle. And it's a double-decker bridge. It has one lane going one way, and on top of that, another lane going another way. And it divided the waterfront from downtown. Uh, and it was built in the 1950s, so it's been dividing Seattle for about 70 years. And this has divisions in how people feel about that. Some people love it and want it to stay. Some people want it gone and now. In fact, there was talk about demolishing the viaduct as far back as 1970. Losing the viaduct is like when we lost Pluto as a planet. You know, it had to be done, but it didn't feel right. Well, this is all a decision made by the voting public and paid for by the taxpayers to the tune of $3.3 billion to tear down the viaduct and replace it with a four-lane, two-mile tunnel. So the vast majority of the cost, $2.8 billion, is from state and federal, and the rest from city and county tax base. I know this episode is about the viaduct, but it's also about public space, public funds, and what is the public perception. Of all the cultural industries that we talk about on Culture Hustlers, film, fashion, fine art, gaming, graphic design, all that, what we don't get to talk about enough is architecture, and specifically architecture history. How do decisions get made about architecture and history when public money is involved? So like I said, the city reached out to me to bring the mobile incubator, a 1957 Shasta camper trailer under this bridge that was built in the 1950s. It was very apropos. I said, okay, cool, let's do it, but how about four mobile incubators? And we had a crew of a dozen folks walking around with recorders and People hopped in and out of the mobile incubators to tell their story and their memories um, of Seattle. Anything else you'd like to share about uh, the viaduct or your feelings on this? No, but I love these trailers. They're so cool. So we had four mobile recording studios on top of this bridge. I know you're thinking, Lucas, how did you not get in an accident? Well, they closed it down. They closed it down for about three weeks. On just about at the end of that three weeks, they decided to have a festival. And they thought, let's invite Seattle to come. And they didn't know how many people would show up. You know, maybe 10,000 people would show up. Now, I want you to imagine 70,000 people, about a tenth of the population of Seattle, walking together side by side for two miles, 60 feet in the open air, 
where for 70 years this is a place where they had only been allowed to drive. And as they walk, there's bands and performers, and they're all wearing black with veils, and there's someone selling t-shirts and tote bags with a tombstone on it that says, Rest in Peace Viaduct. And there's big orange construction street signs that say, Slow, Nostalgia Zone Ahead. And at the end of this two-mile funeral procession, suddenly there's four 1950s camper trailers, and there's people hanging out saying, Hey, you want to share your feelings? If you want to just start with, what are your names and where are you from? I'm Ada, and I'm from Seattle. And I'm Jay, I'm her dad, and I'm from Seattle, too. What brings you down today? I guess, I mean, just to, um, to kick off the demolition of the um, viaduct and also kind of say, you know, thanks. I mean, it's tacky in a way, but hello, goodbye is a good thing. Um, to say well, you can imagine that the feeling of the day was bittersweet. And it does feel slightly Sad. bittersweet. The bittersweet, you know, goodbye of the viaduct. And it's kind of like a bittersweet goodbye. Mm-hmm. I have kind of mixed feelings about it. Um, mixed feelings. In and I'm very sad that it won't be here anymore. Oh, a little bit sad. <laughs> It's sad. Seems such a waste. Pretty disappointed that it's coming. We got choked up. Un sentimiento de melancolía. I think it's a contentious issue because... And I think this kid basically sums it all up. I don't really know if it's good or bad. I think it's okay. I think it's good in some ways, but then it's kind of bad in others. It's good, but then it's kind of bad. So it's hard to say goodbye even to a piece of concrete that's not alive. To see something, to exist with something for the last time, even if you never thought about it in a loving way, is a powerful moment. I came out to take a walk on the viaduct, first time in my life, last time in my life. Uh, We're just uh, having a fun last walk on the viaduct. I wanted to see the viaduct one more time. Last moment before it goes away. So I think it's a one-time opportunity to come and see the last chance. I just want to do it one more time before it's gone. I'm going to walk the viaduct for the last time. Ah, Do you have uh, some feelings about that? Oh, yes, I do. A momentous day in, yeah. in the history of Seattle. It's a piece of history. This is a historic moment. Seattle is a city with a lot of spirit, and people come and celebrate notable moments. We'll come on the viaduct and see a sunset, and the ferries coming in and say, This is our city. So I have a real emotional attachment to it. Always my welcome home moment to see the mountains and the ferries and the, sky, the skyline, and I just knew I was home. As a professional photographer, there's just no better way to experience the city visually than putting it all together from above. Playa, montañas al mismo tiempo. Un clima frío y no sé, es muy bonito, muy bonito. vividly remember that feeling of being on the viaduct looking out towards the water and the sound and seeing the ferries and it was it was really special and then we got really super lost looking for REI <laughs> it's one of the historic celebrations that will 
uh, I think, be remembered for a long time. Maybe we'll feel differently, but right now it's a bit of a wake. It's so sad that they are taking this fabulous view from Seattleites and visitors and making us go into a dungeon. As a matter of fact, there was a woman that we overheard as we were walking around who said, Oh, you know, I used to curse the viaduct, and now that I know it's gone, I'm really sad. And I, I just shook my head. I'm like, what? What would make you curse the viaduct? So what we realized over the course of this festival is that our four trailers were actually time machines. time machine we're working on with this podcast here we're creating a podcast oh, for the day oh incredible so yeah yeah this is almost like back to the future literally they went back to 1955 yeah and then they went ahead this is richie a time traveler who first came to seattle in 1973 and decided to stay in seattle because of the collective spirit that he felt so, here. Yeah, put me in a time machine and take me back. <laughs> Let me stay there. You know, in, in, a, in a funny kind of way, this is what I'm there. This is what I came up with yesterday. This is a true story, and I'm glad I'm on a podcast because people will love this. Uh, when I was a little boy, I loved The Twilight Zone, and there was a 1960 episode with a very famous comic actor, Buster Keaton. It resonated with me just like um, time machines resonate with me today. He had a crazy hat on with all kinds of lights and gadgets and he went in a time machine and he was transported to the distant future. In this case, New York City in the middle of a street in 1960. He came from 1920. And when I was a little boy watching this, in a baby 61 or 62, it just resonated with me. I go, oh wow, wow, look at him. He doesn't know what's going on. And he felt so uncomfortable that he needed to go back home, go back in time. And honest to goodness, 55 years later, I feel like Buster Keaton in the middle of a future I absolutely don't understand. And I wish I had the same luxury Buster Keaton had, where I could go back home to 19, in my case, 1973 and 1974. It was heaven in 1973. I mean, it was this. This was, this was 1973 and 1974. Everybody was together. I mean, I mean, there was, there was people were joyous because of the collective. And, and um, I'm coming back alive now because I'm in the 1955 little, little, little cocoon. And, I'm, and, and the Seattle I know and love is right outside of these doors. I got here in 1977. And... As Richie pounded the table professing his love for Seattle's past, just outside we hear the cheers of a new collective spirit, kind of a reincarnation of what drew him here in the first place. By stepping into a 1950s trailer on top of a 1950s bridge, what we were doing is we were asking people, take us back to where you were when you first met the viaduct and who were you when you first saw the viaduct and what was Seattle to you? Is this all rose-colored glasses? What were the things that you valued back then? and What does a city mean to you today versus then? Well, yeah, we had a, uh, I can remember as a kid, uh, must have been... uh, six or seven, and he was going to buy a new car. 53 Ford station wagon. I remember laying in the back of the, of the uh, station wagon, 
and as you drove along the streetlights would you get a like a flipping flipping effect with the streetlights as you drove down it would be a light flip 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 and I remember that distinctly you know after dark driving up Aurora and it was kind of almost hypnotic I like Seattle before it decided it wanted to become a world-class city. I think I think that's a an ambition that maybe leads to a bad place eventually. It's becoming a very transactional city, where you hear people talking and they're always talking about money. You know, like uh, how can I monetize this and how can I monetize that? And I think it's a little different than it used to be. I think people used to want to make a living. It seemed like, you know, that my dad wanted to make a living. He didn't want to necessarily make a fortune. And now it seems like everybody's kind of like, how am I going to make a fortune as opposed to make a living and have a life and so on. The new tunnel and the tearing down of the viaduct is costing a fortune. $3.3 billion. And about $650 million of that is just for the viaduct to be torn down and the accompanying costs that come with that. And to pay for that, about $2.6 billion of that is going to come from a gas tax, as you know, the viaduct was the commute pattern for so many Seattleites, and the tunnel will be going forward. I've been out in Seattle, didn't even know I'd be moving out here yet. And I'd been here for a couple days for work, and I heard on the news that they were tearing down the viaduct. And I remember being on the, you know, going uh, south and looking out at the water and seeing everything, and I thought to myself, this is the last time I'm only ever going to get to be on this once. And I was like, this is just such a, a bummer. This is so cool. And But wow, what an experience. I got to do it. And then I moved here a year later, and I was like, it's still here. And that was because that's the only tour down the very south end. <laughs> and so I was really relieved and delighted. But not only can you go back into the past with a time machine, you can go back to the future. So if we kept this viaduct, what would the future be like for Seattle? What if we could have this walking path every day, like the High Line in New York, where there's art and festivals up there? Is it even possible? And in 1990, the Nisqually earthquake damaged the viaduct so much, it had to be temporarily shut down for repairs. This prompted the Washington Department of Transportation to create a video rendering of what would happen if a 7.0 magnitude hit, just 0.2 steps above the 6.8 Nisqually. The video is frankly terrifying. So terrifying that the DOT debated whether it should even release it. Yeah, they have that video. Have you seen it? Of the mm-hmm. seismic, what would happen in the, in the, if the big in, one? Yeah, that's to the viaduct. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's so scary. It's no. real science. Driving on it every day, I always thought like, oh, if there's an earthquake, I'm not in a very safe place. It's <laughs> um, not part of it. Yeah, part of history, but don't want it to fall down, so. I'm really sad about it. I wish it could continue, but I really do understand that for earthquake reasons, it's probably a good idea that they take it down. I mean, I can see the road is not in very good shape. Driven on it many times. Every time I drive on it, I think maybe this is the time it's going to come down with me on it. In San Francisco, we had one of these, too, before it collapsed in the earthquake. Oh, I'm so sad. I really like the view from Viaduct, but I don't want to be here when an earthquake happens. (laughs) 
Um, my biggest memory is when I got my license, I, my father um, said, no way are you to ever drive on the viaduct, that you must take all alternate routes because it was built on silt, and he was sure it was going to go down the day I drove on it. <laughs> more or less in what time period? Was that? Uh, that would have been uh, about 1960. Mm-hmm. Do you drive on it now? No, I always avoid it. <laughs> Even, but every once in a while I have to. So but. it's not really up for debate whether the viaduct is unsafe. It is. There have been debates on whether it could be rehabbed, and in the end, the decision was made to take it down. Any memories that stick out for you? Um, just the potholes, you know, lots of potholes. It is kind of an eyesore if you just objective about it. Yeah. Ugly and gray. It's a big kind of gray wall that cut off the city. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm thrilled. I can't wait for it to come down. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have the viaduct gone. I love it, but I'm kind of okay with it uh, going away. <laughs> so I've driven on it a million times. Love the view. Nice. Got an opera singer outside. Uh, I'm just glad to see it going away. It's always been uh, part of the skyline, I guess. But uh, seeing it go with all the motorcyclists that ride on it at 2 in the morning, it's kind of okay. Um, I would take my motorcycle on here um, at night because you'd get all the nice city views. And I would always be going too slow, trying to be in the right lane to get as close (laughs) as I could. But yeah, we're going to miss it. very first night after it closed, I happened to be down on the waterfront and I pulled over and rolled down the car windows and listened to the quiet and it was wonderful. And yet Seattleites can't even agree that quiet is good. The last few nights where there's been no traffic on there, we've noticed it. It's provided that white noise that uh, when it's not there, you miss it. cities, with all places where human beings live. It's constant change. We just got back from New Orleans, which uh, celebrated its 300th anniversary. And their pictures and paintings of New Orleans from 300 years ago that look just the way things do now. And it's kind of strange. I've been here for 20 years, and the picture I would have painted the first year looks nothing like the picture 20 years later. And we so, personify structures. We make human what isn't human. We become familiar with the pockmarks, the potholes. We get sentimental about noise. Um, Oh, it's date night. So once a month, me and a wife uh, do something together because, you know, we're always so busy. And then with the viaduct being closed and then knowing that we get to do a walk and get a view that we won't normally have or one, a view that's going to be gone now. Seattle's changing. (laughs) So the biggest thing I think of is that the things that you did enjoy now in Seattle, is uh, might as well take advantage of it now because it's with new people, construction and everything else. It won't be that way again. But, uh, the old uh, nooks and crannies that I remember, you know, they're not there. That bush or and of all these senses that we get attached to, the look, the sound, one of the more powerful senses is the sense of smell. 
Well, and the smell. That's what I love. It's the smell of the piers, and there's the little bit of the tar, but it's that that seaweed smell and the marine smell. It just really brings me back. I've, I, it's the special Seattle smell that nowadays is is marijuana. <laughs> Seattle was a fishing town. And like so much of America, it was a blue-collar town at that time. It gave Seattle this very, like, working city, working port kind of a feel to it. The dot-com boom of the 90s really couldn't knock out the overriding identity that the Boeing plant had for Seattle and, and the working waterfront had. History is, it's funny. The first identity of a city can often override new identities through centuries. Just through sheer so. <laughs> seniority. Um, definitely, it's a little bit weird to see it, you know, that old parts of Seattle going away. I feel like there's a lot, a lot shiny and new um, coming in these days, and a lot of the old is kind of going away, so it's just a transition. You know, the old viaduct is definitely kind of last parts of the old, more grungy Seattle that some of us still hold on to a little bit, and then, um, you know, but I think... The first time I ever heard of Seattle was in fourth grade, and we all had to do reports on different American cities. This one kid, Dusty, he did his on Seattle, and his report was really just a piece of paper with the logos of different grunge bands from Seattle drawn on it, like Soundgarden, Mudhoney, Nirvana. But that was the 90s. It smelled like teen spirit back then, but all of this begs the question, is Seattle a young it's city? It's gorgeous. The whole city's lit up. It's so exciting. And I come from Manhattan, from New York City. So this was like thrilling. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful new city. I mean, think about it. We're only like 150 years old at the most. And you take a place like New York or Boston, they're like 400 plus years old. So this is like new territory. And this is some new weird highway that, you know, we've gone from above ground to underground. Isn't that kind of H.G. Wells? You know, like the time machine, you know, where the, at the, what is it, the mutants underground, right? So now we're going to a tunnel. I don't know. I've seen it in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, it's really sad because I've lived in this city my whole life, and it's kind of, it's sad to see one of the uh, most famous things in the city go down. Yeah, but also, I mean, we got to, like, build to the future, you know? we got to move on. What is the future of Seattle? Is it a good future? It was a great way to see the progression of the city and see how it was built. So you have, especially along the uh, where the market is, seeing how you had the older buildings building up into the uh, newer buildings. It was kind of a neat way to see the transformation of the community. Yes, um, and I think, I don't always think that Seattle's changing um, for everyone. Some folks from Allied Art came in to tell us what we could expect from the new Seattle waterfront. Posterity? So I, I'm just so excited, as I say to these folks here, that uh, a small group of people in the community had a big, big idea that said, let's not have the state build a gigantic highway on the waterfront again. And people thought that was crazy. That's never going to work. That's never going to happen. And here we are today walking on this old viaduct that's going to get ripped down pretty soon, replaced by a place for people where everyone can come hang out. And that's just so exciting. It just feels like one of the biggest things that Seattle's ever done. It's just amazing, and I, the feeling of community is bubbling over. <laughs> and it's going to work because we're following the successes of Vancouver and San Francisco who've already had this experience. And it's interesting to hear this point of view from folks from, in an arts organization. And 
for me, as, as an artist with an art project on top of the viaduct that's going to be destroyed, I had to ask myself, what is the art of change? How can art massage what aches when we lose something? How can it be a salve for something that's bruised? How can it mend a cut? How can it bridge the differences between the past to the present? Uh, I have the art car Toynota. And uh, T-O-Y-N-O-T-A, it's uh, covered with, uh, it's a 1981 pickup truck covered with about between five and 600 toys and musical instruments. That's Ranger. That's his name. He and a crew of car artists, or cardists, were parked on the viaduct next to the mobile incubators. Are you uh, seeing a lot of fans or foes of the viaduct today? You know, I've, I've been intrigued because I'm not from Seattle, and so... I've seen actually um, several foes, and I didn't know about the foe part of things. Um, I have uh, one of the people in the art car group has a T-shirt on that says "Via yeah. Art," and uh, and uh, you know I, I think we all miss things that we might be nostalgic about, but at the same. So I want to take you back to Richie, the man who entered our time machine towards the beginning of this episode. And I asked myself, what is the power of art to create real value in the world? In my case, 43 years. And I'm looking to go home, but right now I feel incredibly at home. Because it's a 1955 little cocoon, and I'm in the middle of um, instant therapy, instant karma. I want to thank, thank you from the bottom of my heart for waking me up today. Because I was He was feeling incredibly anxious about the changes in Seattle. And that this festival brought him back to a time when he felt, quote, the collective. All of a sudden, you turn, so the big lesson to learn is you turn a corner, you enter a portal, and life is categorically different. I just entered this portal, and this, this good feeling is going to resonate with me for hours and days, and maybe even weeks. Who knows? What a, what a it's not lost on me that the viaduct was paid by taxpayers, um, the new tunnel was paid by taxpayers, the festival is put on by taxpayers, and you can hear it in, this, in the words of, of people in this podcast. You can sense in their psyche they're not okay with this change, and yet they voted to spend the money this way. Even people who want the viaduct gone are torn about it going away, and even people who want the viaduct to stay really <laughs> admit that it can't. And art has the power to soothe those shocking changes that occur. So instead of a spasm and a riot and a protest, which Seattle has done in the past, even though the city is divided on some things, that it is still a one living organism and art can bind them together. I think it takes a lot to say goodbye. Even when you know it's time to say goodbye, when you see someone or something you love on life support literally falling apart, wearing down, collapsing in front of you, you want to hang on for as long as you can. And as I'm sitting here, the viaduct is being torn down. I used to drive on that bridge when I lived in Seattle, and piece by piece it's going away, and I will never be able to see the city from that far up. I will never be able to see the sunset from that high without getting permission to go to the top of the tower. It'll take about six months, and it'll be down in late 2019. This large, gray, monstrous chunk of concrete supported us so we all need to say goodbye not to 
a work of art, but to a friend who was always there for us. So everybody's coming to say goodbye. And, uh, well, we wanted to say goodbye to the viaduct. Which say goodbye to the viaduct. Say goodbye and celebrate a road. Say goodbye to a road. Good viaduct. Y no se olviden verlo en nuestro nuevo episodio. Más bien en nuestro próximo episodio del podcast. Adiós, viaduct. For this episode, I'd like to thank Juliana Ross of Space 101.1 FM. This episode would not have been possible without her and our ragtag team of assistant producers we assembled to collect stories in the viaduct, including Amy Shun Toft, Christine Kim, Norelli Price, Trevor Pogue, Kendra Hanna, Ben Campion, Karina Kunins, Liz Woodward, Janice Blackmore, and Eric Zappa. This episode was supported by the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture. Thank you, Maya McKnight and Jenny Koo, for your incredible work on this festival. I also want to thank Randy, Sandy, and Elizabeth of the Seattle Department of Parks and Rec for bringing the mobile incubator out in November of 2018 to Seattle. Right now, the mobile incubator is parked in Chicago, and it will be riding the Mississippi River this year. So hit me up if you know something cool in Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Memphis, or New Orleans, or anywhere in between. We're always down for ride-alongs, so let me know if you want to hit the road with me, hold a camera, and just collect some stories. Hit me up on Facebook or Instagram Messenger at Culture Hustlers. You can see the Viaduct and the Mobile Incubator on Culture Hustlers YouTube, and of course, hear more podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Are you an artist, designer, writer, performer, maker, or entrepreneur? Well, now is your chance to get in on the first set ever of Culture Hustlers classes. This podcast and our first season of 24 episodes and dozens more stories that I've been collecting and curating are now case studies in a series of classes we just launched, all on building a unique business model. It's fully experiential, and you're going to meet a lot of cool people. So go ahead and sign up at culturehustlers.com and enroll. If you like this episode on how tax money is spent on history, I want you to check out my friend Wade's podcast, Soonish. And in particular, his episode, A Tale of Two Bridges, the story of the historic Longfellow Bridge in Boston. Wade follows the money, how $300 million was spent in taxes to historically preserve the bridge. And in some cases, they had to research and reinvent old school techniques like hot riveting just to keep the feel of this piece of history intact. Our theme is by Otis McDonald, and our music today was by, of course, Poddington Bear. And this is Lucas Fivey wishing you lots of love from the new Seattle Waterfront. Hey, well, we're looking forward to the Sonics coming back. If you can do anything about that, that'd be great. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.